God, we believe uh, that the invisible world is real. And this very moment, uh, even though we are at the geographic location of 3rd and Lincoln in Bloomington, Indiana, uh, we also exist in a whole other reality that we can't see. We can encounter, we can communicate with, and it's through your Holy Spirit, who for those of us who are followers of Jesus, your Holy Spirit is in us communicating that way. For those here who are not yet followers of Jesus, the commun- the Holy, your Holy Spirit is around us, talking to us, pointing us to Jesus. But we believe it's real. We believe your Spirit talks to us. And so this morning, would you give us, all of us, ears to hear what your Spirit is saying, eyes to see what, we, what you want us to see, and the power and the grace and the courage to do what you've asked us to do. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Calvin and Hobbes is one of my favorite comic strips. This particular comic strip ran in December of 1995. Who was not born yet at that point? Quite a few. All right, December of 1995. All right, here's what it starts out. Calvin says, hey, what a rotten snowman. That's the worst snowman I've ever seen. Susie says, so go build a better one. He says, maybe I will. Susie is building her snowman. Why we assume that Calvin must be building the better snowman. Calvin comes back and says this. She says, you're back. And he goes, well, my words speak louder than my actions. Right? He didn't build a snowman. He didn't build a better one because his words speak better than his actions. If I said I would, then I could, then I will. So it doesn't matter if my actions line up with my words. Who cares? But the reality is, and the question I'll start off asking this morning is, do your words speak louder than your actions? Do you say things you value in life, or do you say things about yourself or about your experience of Christianity, but if you matched up your actions with your words, would it be a match, or would there be a great deal of incongruity there? Because we say about people whose words are bigger than their actions, we call those people hypocrites, and that's a significant charge that those people who are not followers of Jesus will level against us many times legitimately so because what we say we're about and our actions don't match so how do we become the kind of people whose words match our actions and our actions actually speak the same message our words are speaking one of the things and if you're uh, here for first time or the millionth time uh, let me tell you what some of the words we use to describe what we believe we're about at Exodus, our mission, our mindset. And then we're going to talk about how do you mesh those together. First thing, if you've been around Exodus at all, our, our mission is release life. That's we, that's, these, these are the words again, and our hope is, and our intention is, we have actions surround that. Jesus said he came to set people free. He came to release those in captive, recover his sight for the blind. That was his mission to come and announce the year of the Lord's favor, the fact that God was now going to bring goodness to people on earth. So our mission is the same mission of Jesus, is to ask God to use us to release his life in us and his life in others, all right? Our strategy, we often say, is our strategy is stretch beyond comfort. You will not grow spiritually, and that's the whole idea, growth. You will not grow spiritually if you don't let God stretch you. The Bible is full of stories of men and women, as well as girls and boys, who God stretched them way beyond their comfort zone. And if you want to grow, if you want to become the kind of person that God can fulfill his life in, you have to let God do that. So that's our strategy. Any way that we can be stretched beyond comfort, we're going to ask God to do that. Now, there's a certain, there's a certain number of things we call our 
mindset or certain kind of principles that kind of drive what we do. Let me just run through those real quickly. And again, the challenge is how do we match our words with our actions? One of the things we say up front is we trust Jesus. And you might say, well, that's kind of an obvious duh or whatever. But we don't trust American Christianity. We don't trust in the church. We trust Jesus. We trust everything he said about reality. We believe with due respect, all great teachers in history, there's none greater than Jesus. With due respect, with all great social activists in, in history, there's none greater than Jesus. We, we, we believe his words and his words alone will lead us to the life that we've always wanted and will lead us to the one true God. And we trust him. Next thing we say is this. We say the invisible world is real. And I just said that when I prayed. But we believe in the invisible world. And we believe that our lives should be, we figure out, we have to look for ways to align our lives with that reality. We believe that when we pray, when I call, you answer. We believe that's true. And we want to live our lives that way. When we just prayed right now for people that asked, answer the question, what do you want Jesus to do for you? We believe that some of the things you ask for, we believe that God heard every prayer. And we believe that your lives will be different this week if you ask for peace. We believe that God will bring more peace in your life as we go bring about some change. And my guess is you believe that too, but if you're like me, you believe it, but you don't, but you do, but you don't, because you're not really sure. But all of us would say we want to believe that's true, and we want God to grow us in those areas. We believe the invisible world is real, and we'll always push ourselves in that. Next thing we say is this. Practical spirituality for ordinary people. Every single one of us here is an ordinary person. If you think you're more than ordinary, you don't belong here. If you think you're less than ordinary, convince yourself that you're not. But we will look for practical ways for ordinary people like us to take the steps that Jesus says we can take that can open our lives up to his spirit in our lives. Practical spirituality for ordinary people. Next thing is this, proactive unity. If you've been around Exodus at all, we look for ways to practice supportive speech and actions toward other Christ-centered churches in Bloomington. We're not about comparing ourselves to other churches, saying how we're better or worse or different or more unique. We're not. All we're saying is, we believe that every church in Bloomington that's centered on Jesus is a necessary part of the kingdom of God in Bloomington, and we will do anything we can to support them and encourage them, and we don't talk down to the churches or try to compare ourselves. We're not, it's not Coke versus Pepsi. Our job is to see whatever God wants to do us to do and how we can be a part of that in Bloomington. All right? Next thing we say is this, two more. Church is people, not an event. Yes, you came here Sunday morning. It's an event in some sense. But the church, as the Bible talks about it, is the organic group of people and your relationships throughout the week. When you have lunch with a friend of yours who's a Christian this week, you are doing church. When you help someone who's in need of your help, you are doing church. So church is relationships. It's people. It's not the event. Yes, the event, the gathering is part of what we're to do. But the church is not the event. It's not the building. It's the people. Last thing we say is this, and this is what we're going to focus on today. We're going to gauge our success by our ability to give stuff away. Now, I'm saying that this way. It's very easy as a pastor, and I've, I'm not immune to this. It's very easy as a pastor to gauge the tr- success of our church by what people call the ABs and C- ABCs, attendance, buildings, and cash. So if your church is growing in attendance and buildings and cash, you must be successful. But that's what I call the accumulation model. What can you get? What are you getting? And is that the success that Jesus talks about throughout the Bible seems to be the successful people are able to gauge their success by what I call their giveaway ability, your ability to give stuff away. 
whether it's your personal finances, the church's finances, whether it's your emotional energy, your time, success is driven by what we give away. Not by what we get. Not by accumulating. I just abbreviate this value by the simple, and we talked about this a couple years ago, G, give. The whole value of giving, that's what we talk about. And let me just go through a few things Jesus said about giving that his paints his definition of success. He says, given will be given to you. Just keep going. Give as freely as you have received. When you enter a home, give it your blessing. Just a couple more. Give a cup of cold water. I think the last one is, if you give up your life. Now, this is a big one. Give up your life. I mean, yeah, giving a cup of cold water, giving a blessing. But now Jesus says, if you give up your life for me, you will find it. It seems as the spiritually successful person is this way and not this way. What can you do for me, God? What can you? Now, none of us say that. But if you're like me, we think that. Even this week when I found the air conditioning wasn't going to work, I was kind of like, come on, God. You could, I, I mean, I hate, I have, I have an addiction to Freon, by the way. I hate warm humidity. So all day Monday, I was kind of in a funk because I thought, God, why can't you? I felt like God was saying to me, hey, be okay. I mean, the Holy Spirit doesn't really need Freon. It's fine for years. So I, I, what I'm saying is we all struggle with the idea of we, we kind of want to see what God or the church or other people can do for us. It's true in our marriages. What can my spouse do for me? Instead of thinking, how do I give up my life for them? And that, by that means giving up your emotional energy, your time, maybe your agenda. So this whole idea of giving is a real big, is, is the giving of success is how Jesus divines it. And what we say then is, if you're at that kind of people, then, you, then the word I like to use is, then we're big people. Because we're not, our goal is not to build a big church we want, to be, we want to build big people. So the, object, the objective, the mission, is you and me. Because God wants us to become big people, and by that I mean big-hearted, big capacity. Not only to give and do the outward things, but to hold the Holy Spirit who loves to give and send and give away. So it's that capacity that God wants in all of us. So his, God's objective, the objective of Jesus, he wants to build big people. So we want to build big people, big-hearted people, who have capacity for more and more of the Holy Spirit in your life. Now, I'm going to give you a couple examples of some big people and how this whole idea of success as a giveaway uh, fleshes out. First one is this. There's a man named Barnabas in Acts chapter 4. And again, what we're talking about, how do we mesh our actions with our words? Because we said we want... Success to be defined by how we give away, not by how we accumulate. If you know much about the book of Acts, and if you don't, that's fine. The book of Acts is the story of the church as it first started, literally weeks, months after the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. And within a few weeks and months, some things happened, and the power of the Holy Spirit was manifest in these people and they started seeing incredible things God doing in their lives. But one of the incredible things was generosity. In Acts chapter 2, it talks about they, they considered all their possessions as shared possessions. Not, not in a socialistic way. They still had personal ownership, but many of them decided they would sell things they had to give to those in need. And it said they excelled in great joy and generosity. But what it says of Barnabas 
In Acts chapter 4, and he's one of these kind of little-known little stories in Acts chapter 4. It says, this is uh, Acts chapter 4, verses 32. All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that they owned that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them. This is in the body of Christ. There were no needy people among them. Because those who owned land or houses would sell them. Wow. And bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas which means son of encouragement. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. So there's something about being a big person that has a lot to do, ouch, with your money. All right, I'm going to ask you, what gonna do. I'm gonna ask you to do two things this week, and here's the first one that is going to align actions with words. I'm going to ask every single person here, every single one of you, to give away $10. All right? But here's what we're going to do. We're going to give you that $10. All right? So there's people right now that are going to hand out $10 bills to everybody here. All right? Seriously, I'm not joking. It's no trick. They're not counterfeit. All right? Here's what I want you to do. Because some of you are in the habit of generosity. Some of you are not with your money. And it's, it's challenging sometimes to let go of money. Now, this money was money that some of you, was God's money to start with, God gave to some of you through your income and you were stewards. You gave it to the church, what I call the church bank. But now we're giving it back to you. It's all God's money anyway. We're just kind of passing it around, kind of re-stewarding it, kind of like re-gifting, you know, that kind of thing. Everybody has one of these. Everybody's going to get a $10 bill. And here's, your, here's what we're going to ask you to do. We're going to ask you to give it away to whomever and whenever the Holy Spirit tells you to. And you might say, well, that's kind of spooky. No, no, no. If nothing else, let it be an exercise of listening to the voice of God on a really practical thing. So don't give it to the first homeless person you see just to get it rid of it. Ooh, get it rid of it. Don't let it, you know, because, oh, it's going to burn them. There was one, we did this years ago, and one guy said he had it in his wallet for like a month because he wasn't sure what to do, what God wanted him to do. So don't give it away to the first homeless person you see. Uh, don't just get rid of it. I don't, maybe, you, maybe you buy the coffee for the person behind you at Starbucks that you don't know. Maybe you send it anonymously to someone you know needs it, and you're not, they don't need to know that you gave it to them. But wrestle with, what does God want me to do with this money? If you want to add to it yourself, do that. So now it's the church giving the church the money to bless with generosity toward others. You might think, well, 10 bucks, not my hey, it's, it's 10 bucks. It's 10 bucks that somebody had to earn. So that's the challenge. Everybody get one. If, if, we, have, if we don't have enough, uh, share, I guess. Rip it in half, whatever, you know. And uh, there's no gimmick here. There's no trick. We're not asking for anything in return. We're not going to all of a sudden say, now give it back or anything. But we really want you to wrestle with what is... So that little card, everybody should have one of these little cards that has this on it. And uh, one of the things we talk about Exodus 2 is we want to be people who hear and respond to the voice of God. So we're going to ask you to just listen. What is God telling you to do? Maybe you give it to another church in town. Maybe you send it anonymously to somebody who's hurt you as an act of forgiveness toward them. Ouch. Right? Maybe you do that. But here, and then what we want you to do is, uh, we'd like for you to do, and if you don't, we're not going to ask for the money back because we don't know who has it because we don't have all your cell phone numbers. 
we'd like for you to email on that little card. There's email. Um, you can email your story. You can take a picture that represents your story, video, anything. And it's, I, there's a Facebook and Twitter and Instagram kind of uh, hashtags. I, I told Dan, I don't even know what a hashtag is. I know when I was a kid, people called it about hash pipes, but hashtags are a whole different thing. So, um, so we, and if you don't, don't feel like you're, don't feel guilty if you don't get back to it. We want to hear some stories, not just about who you gave it to, but how you felt like God was telling you that. And again, you might say, well, God doesn't talk to me. Hey, he does. There's nobody here that God won't talk to. And there's nobody here who's not good enough for God to talk to. There's nobody here who's not spiritual enough to God to talk to. That's what he loves to do. So that's your, that's your challenge, and there's no timeline on that, not like a week or just whenever. Let it, if you need to put that card with the $10 bill in your wallet, great. You know, if you feel like God wants you to give it to somebody just as a, to celebrate that person, God often, you know, in the Bible, they, the Old, Old Testament, there was money they were supposed to use to throw a party to celebrate God's goodness in their life. So whatever the Holy Spirit tells you to do. And I think I've told you before, I, I did this once myself with a couple, I had some dollar, it was a $50 bill, actually, and I gave it to a woman at a Midas muffler shop who was waiting on me. And it was the weirdest thing, one of the weirdest things I've ever done. And I think she thought I was weird, and I felt weird, but I'm sure it's what God wanted me to do. So if you feel weird about what God wants you to do, you're probably right on. You're probably spot on, all right? Don't look for it weird. Don't try to be weird, and don't draw attention to yourself. Even if you say to somebody, I said to this woman, I said, I, I said, this sounds weird. I said, this sounds weird, but I think God wants me to give you this because I, I think he wants to know that he's thinking about you. And I left. Because I thought, well, she's thinking I'm hitting on her? I don't know why. Yeah. So that's your challenge this week. All right. Now, that was one big person, Barnabas. And we want to be big people. Learn to give away. Second story and last story, Stephen. And this still is in the same category of the big G. The big people, the people who give, and we giving away as part of our success. But Stephen's giving is a whole different kind of giving. I'm going to challenge you on this too. Let me tell you a little bit of the story about Stephen. They talk about, in the early church, um, there were the apostles, the twelve. And then they needed some men to handle some administrative tasks. They were called the deacons, and Stephen was one of the ones chosen. But they describe Stephen this way. When we first introduced Stephen in the Bible, it says, Stephen, comma, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Then two verses later, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power. It's like Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, couldn't say enough about this guy. He's full of faith in the Holy Spirit. He's full of God's grace and power. But then what happened is the Jewish people leaders who did not like the Jesus stuff going on. They were the ones that actually had Jesus crucified. Remember, this is months later. They started getting ticked off at the Christians, and Stephen was the, one of the first ones that got their wrath. I mean, Paul, Peter and the others had been whipped. I mean, it's not, it's not, that, that, not that that's not a big deal. They had been whipped and flogged, but Stephen gets the full force of the anger of people who were angry at this Jesus, because Jesus was showing their arrogance was wrong. And so they put Stephen on trial, accusing him of blaspheming God, bring up some false charges, but even some of the charges they have are true because he's, he does say he's a follower of Jesus. Stephen starts to tell them 
their own story, their own Jewish history of Abraham and Moses and all this stuff. And he shows them how Jesus was part of this. And this is, that's who this Jesus is. You re- don't reject him. And they get more and more angry because he's basically saying to them, you missed it. He doesn't say it in a condescending, angry way. He's just like, you missed it. This is the one. And then they start getting angry during this group. So you can imagine this group of people and Stephen standing here. And then Luke says again, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit. I mean, Luke can't get enough of telling about Stephen that he's full of grace, full of power, full of the Holy Spirit. He's a big person. Big person. And then they get so angry at him, they decide that his penalty will be death. And they begin to stone him. Verdicts pronounced, whatever, boom. I mean, so they really were throwing stones at him, probably big stones. And it was evident that death was going to happen because there was nobody coming to his assistance. There weren't anybody around, but there was, the mob was probably so big. And let me read this last part, because Stephen's death is like the, one of the biggest people stories ever. Big person, big guy, big heart. This is in Acts chapter 7. After all this interaction, it says they put their hands over their ears, so the Jewish leaders, and began shouting. So they're really going, no, 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 we don't hear you anymore, we don't hear you anymore, like kids do. But these are adults who are angry and going to kill somebody. They rushed at him, and they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul, who later became Paul, who wrote a good part of the New Testament. At one point, Stephen angers him more because he sees what's coming. He says, look, I, I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the Father. And he's basically saying, I, I see. I see Jesus. And they get really angry. And then as he's dying, as they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees, shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And he died. Big person. Big forgiveness. I can forgive people. But I need some time, God. I need weeks to forgive them. Let the pain subside. Stephen is forgiving in the midst of the pain that will eventually get worse and he will die. And he says, Father, don't don't charge them with this sin. Don't count it against them. And he's shouting it right before he dies. I don't know about you, but I want to be like that guy. No, I'm not, I'm not having, I don't have a martyr wish or a death wish. What I'm saying was I want to have that capacity, that kind of big heart, that kind of giveaway successful spirit that he's giving away blessing and asking God not to hold that against them. It's like, wow. Don't charge them with this sin. May remind you, should remind you of what, They all knew Jesus had said months before, go to the next slide, in the midst of his torture and his pain. Actually, let me ask this question first. So here's the question, go to you. Who's difficult for you to forgive? How are you doing with that? 
Who's somebody that's hurt you, is hurting you, has hurt you, and never acknowledged it, never owned it? Or who's somebody that's just, frankly, is a jerk in your life you can't stand? They may not be sinning against you, but they're making life irritable for you. Now here's a question, or here's a challenge. Actions and words, I already said, give away the ten bucks. Here's the other action and word things. Sometime this week, when you think of, I want you to right now, everybody, think of one person that you would say, yeah, it's hard for me to forgive them. Or it's hard for me to be gracious toward them. All right, just, if you have more than one person coming on the screen of your mind, then put them all together, whatever you need to do. Sometime this week, no, no, I'm not going to ask you to send them the $10. Sometime this week, when you're alone in your car, alone in your house, alone in your bedroom, I want you to say out loud to God, say if the person's name is Bob, Lord, don't charge his sins against him. Don't charge Bob's sins against him. I want you to say that to God about the person who has sinned against you. And you might say, well, that, no, it's harder than you think. You will stumble over your words. Because thinking it is one thing, hearing yourself say it is another stretch of your own spirit. Lord, don't, don't charge this against them. Or you might even use the very words of Jesus that he said on the cross when he's being crucified, when he said, Father, go to the next slide. Father, forgive Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You might think, no, but he did know what he was doing. He hurt me. He said those things about me that weren't true. This person did this. They abused me. They did this. I don't know. There's levels of pain in here that most of us don't have no, no idea of and can't imagine the pain you may be going through. But many of us have experienced just that pain of somebody talking negatively about you or saying things about you weren't true. And you say, I'm trying to forgive them. I'm trying to have that generosity of spirit toward them. I'm trying. What I'm asking you to do is stop trying and just tell God you will. God, to bless that person. That's what Jesus is saying. Forgive him. God, forgive Bob. He didn't know what he was doing. He really didn't. I mean, it's incredible that Jesus could say that in the midst of his suffering. I'm sure that's where Stephen took his line from. I'm not saying it in a cheesy way, but that's... I remember, and I think I've said this before, but I remember watching the movie, the, the Passion of the Christ, the Mel Gibson movie, where that was in the East Side Movie Theater over here on, by the College Mall. And when Jesus said that in the movie, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He's bleeding and he's dying. And I remember I'd heard that story, I don't know how many hundreds of times. I was sitting probably in the fourth row to the right. I remember this. I, said, I whispered out loud to myself after Jesus said that movie. I said, how in the hell can he say that? And I'm not, the, the language even shocked me when I said because I was so appalled. How, and there, at that time in my life, there were people in my life God was wanting me to forgive, but I was like, I can't do that. And they had done like this compared to what Jesus had been having. And I thought, well, if, if that's the kind of man he is, I want to I be like this guy. I want to have that kind of largeness of heart so I can not only give away money, I want to give away my blessing and forgiveness toward others. So that's my second challenge for you out loud somewhere this week in your car, in a room ask God to bless and forgive because they didn't know what they were doing when they hurt you alright so two really clear actions listen to God, give away second thing is 
verbalize your forgiveness and ask God to bless the person who's hurt you. Bless those who persecute you, Jesus said. See, because if we had, if this room of people would be the kind of people that allow God to increase the capacity of your heart in terms of generosity with stuff, and increase the capacity of your heart with generosity of forgiveness and mercy and grace, because isn't, no other world religion talks about forgiveness and mercy and grace like Christianity does. It sets us apart. And if we're not going to live that way, then stop calling yourself a Christian, and so should I. And you can't do it on your own. It's like, what do you want Jesus to do for you? I want him to give me the grace to forgive them. You can't wait till it musters up inside. You just have to forgive them. Ask God even to bless them. And if a church full of people would do that, can you imagine what would happen to your neighborhood, to your family, to your dorm, to your office, if people actually started to do the things Jesus said we could do with the Spirit inside of us and started to be conduits for the blessing of God to others with our stuff and with our forgiveness? That's what success is. That's how we will gauge. Now, it's hard to gauge that. We don't have any statistics. Well, we have 10 forgivenesses this week and three not forgiveness, so we're down three. You know, we don't do that. We can't do that. But God knows. We finish every uh, Sunday with communion at Exodus. And uh, we do it not as... It, it's a ritual. It is a ritual. But it's a ritual we believe has significant meaning. We never want to lose that meaning. But the, Jesus said when he was serving his disciples the Passover meal the night he was betrayed, he's serving this meal to them, and he says to them, do this in remembrance of me. It's my, it's my body given for you. It's my blood shed for you. Remember me when you take this meal. And he wasn't saying, yeah, you need to remember that when you take this meal that it was your fault they had to go to the cross and suffer all this bad stuff. So remember how bad you are that causes this to happen. No, he's saying, remember the promises I said. Remember what I said about what it means to be a fully alive person. Remember I said you can have abundant joy. Remember I said you can be the kind of person that gives your life away and you'll find it. Remember those things I said. I promise you. The, remember I said that if you call, God answers. Remember those things. So as you come this morning and take bread and take the juice and how we do it here, we just rip off a piece, we'll offer it to you, and then we'll offer you a cup and just dip it in. We don't drink out, just dip it in. And we come, you're welcome to come as soon as we start singing. We don't dismiss our rows. We don't check off who's up or down. Um, let me do this, though. I'm going to ask this real quick. Let me close your eyes. If the whole idea of asking verbally, hearing yourself verbally forgive a person that's hurt you, if that's a real challenging thought to you and something inside of you, the knee jerk of your spirit kind of went crazy, and you're willing to acknowledge that and willing to ask God for the power to forgive that comes only from Jesus and his spirit, I want you to stand up if that's you. If, that, if the idea, if forgiveness is hard enough for you, and it's hard for all of us, but if you might say, yeah, but you don't know, yeah, we don't know the story. But I want you to stand up if that kind of forgiveness is a real challenge for you. Everybody else, just keep your eyes closed. So if you're thinking, I, I, I want to forgive, I don't have it in me, and the answer to that question is, you're absolutely right, you don't. So those of you who are standing, just, everyone else can stay seated and keep your eyes closed. They're standing, look at me. Let's look up here. Oh, Jesus gives you the power to forgive, he will. You don't have it. You don't have it. Absolutely don't have it. 
But he'll honor even this decision that you've made that you've confirmed by the movement of your body. There's nothing special about that, but it says something. He will give you the ability to forgive. And you will be free. You will experience a level of joy and abundance in life that you thought was only possible if that person were dead. Because you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you are the one who has the power of forgiveness. And you offer that to another, and God wakes up your spirit in ways you've never imagined. All right, go ahead and have a seat. God, I'm going to pray for those who have just stood, and I pray for all of us that we would have the power of giveaway ability, not just with our stuff, although we want to be those kind of people, but also with our mercy and our blessing toward others. God, we want to be a forgiving people, not just forgiving in a hallmarkish, simpleton kind of way, but in a way that unleashes your spirit toward other people. Because what they need is your spirit. So use us to unleash your spirit of generosity and your spirit of mercy, blessing, and forgiveness. That's the kind of people we want to be, and we know that's what you do. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. So welcome to come to the table as we sing.
stand with me as we close in prayer. Um, before we close, though, I want you to sing with me just the chorus. We're going to